Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Welcome to this weekend's uh, worship service. want to thank all the moms that have been involved so far. You saw Katie, you saw Shauna and Sheila, and we just are so glad, and we honor moms here at New Life Community Church. Of course, as you notice, as you've been driving around the community and watching online and on TV, you know, we've, we've been focusing on the frontline workers in the midst of COVID, but today I want to focus on the hidden heroes of the pandemic, and that is the moms that are carrying the bulk of the weight at home. And so today, we just want to bring the spotlight onto moms, and our focus on this Sunday will be moms. We're going to leave the numbers series for a moment, although we're going to stay within that same vein as we look back a little bit to the backstory of the book of Numbers today. And so by this point, you should have received, if you're a mom in our church, a gift from us, which was uh, just a way of us blessing you and just saying, hey, we love you and, and we miss you. And so we had deliverers Deliveries gone out this week uh, to to the moms in our church, and so we just hope you're enjoying the tea in the mug and the you know and the honey from our, our local Flint farms. There, that's just that was the brainchild of our staff team here. Karina coordinated that with Katie and Shauna, and so just I'm so glad to have the moms on my team here bringing this stuff together. That was just them saying we love you and just uh, we're still thinking of you because you are carrying the weight in the midst of the pandemic, and and of course the story of numbers and the people of Israel moving across the wilderness begins back in Egypt, uh, and it begins in a a family, and it begins with this family who have a child, and and, and that's the story of Exodus and the story of Moses. Now, you understand, as um, a couple months ago, I was talking to my wife, Elisa, and she had been teaching the kids Exodus, and then she began teaching the women's Bible study on Tuesday morning, the, the book of Exodus. And when my wife teaches, she pillages my library, all my commentaries. She asks me hard questions about the Hebrew, and, and she really gets into it. And, and she shared with me some of the things she was learning. I thought, well, this is really good stuff, Lisa. Why, why don't you share it on, on Mother's Day? Now, she wasn't super excited about getting up and being on the, behind the camera and sharing, but I, I twisted her arm, I bribed her, I cajoled her into doing this. And so today on Mother's Day, you will have the, the great honor of, of having Lisa just give you some of the highlights that she took out of the, the first end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, which is the backstory for the book of Numbers and how women and mothers played a critical role in God's plan of salvation history. And so it's, it's my great honor to, to invite at the beginning of this sermon uh, my wife, Lisa, my lifelong companion, my best friend, the mother of my children, the queen of our house, the first lady of New Life Community Church, director of children's ministries, Bible study teacher, Elisa Nadalko, and she's going to bring you some fresh insights for mothers from a mother. And so here's Elisa Nadalko. Thank you for that glowing introduction from my husband. As Mike said, several weeks ago in our Tuesday morning ladies Bible study, we began looking at the book of Exodus. Within the first two chapters, we found some remarkable and surprising truths that are significant for us today as we honor mothers. One of the greatest things about Jesus was that he was the great equalizer. He demonstrated and taught that God loved everyone, everyone, male and female, children and adult, rich and poor. It didn't matter your language, your culture, your ethnic background. God loved and loves everyone. This was truly revolutionary for the time, and it's still essential today. However, in Exodus, we become aware that Pharaoh consistently dismisses a specific group as insignificant, and yet this group would ultimately 
contribute to his undoing. Pharaoh is, in, is threatened by the immense number of Jewish people living in Egypt. As a result of this perceived threat, Pharaoh enslaves and oppresses the Hebrew people brutally. Despite his efforts, God continues to multiply his people. In a desperate attempt to diminish their population, Pharaoh commands the Hebrew midwives to kill all Hebrew baby boys while they're being born. He's not too concerned about the girls, though. Shipra and Pua, the midwives, fear God more than Pharaoh. They do not do what he has commanded. As a result, Pharaoh orders all Egyptian people to throw newborn Hebrew boys in the River Nile. Into the story enters a God-fearing mother, Jochebed. She gives birth to a baby boy. She immediately recognizes that he is special and in faith courageously hides her son for three months, defying Pharaoh's orders. When she can no longer hide him, she prepares to obey Pharaoh in an audaciously cheeky way. She prepares to put him in the River Nile. Of course, she does this to preserve his life rather than to see it taken. Placing baby Moses in a waterproof basket, she leaves him among the reeds on the bank of the river with his older sister to watch. Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river to bathe, sees the basket, and has one of her servants fetch it for her. She opens the basket and finds a crying Hebrew baby boy, a boy that she would later adopt after the child's own mother is paid to nurse him. God's hand is truly evident in his life thus far. Have you noticed anything? Reoccurring themes? Anything that stands out? The majority of the characters mentioned in the beginning of Exodus are female. Though Pharaoh deemed the baby girls insignificant and non-threatening, it was the women in this story that God uses to complete his purposes. These women fear God, do what is right, and influence the outcome of history. Each woman, with the potential for great risk to herself, is more concerned with obeying the Lord than Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh's daughter regarded human life enough to rescue a baby who was condemned to die. They did the right thing, and their influence is felt in the outcome. Moses lives. He lives to provide deliverance for the nation of Israel. He lives to be used of the Lord in the development of a holy people and a holy nation. I love that the women in the opening verses of Exodus use what they have, their personalities, their wit, their abilities, their resources to do what is right and to serve the Lord. They are an example for us today. Their actions are seemingly simple, but not without influence. I grew up with a mom who would fit right in with Shipra, Pua, and Jochebed. My mom is a great example of fearing the Lord and doing what is right. Over her 80 years, Mom has served the Lord as a missionary teacher in Nigeria, Africa, and in remote fly-in communities in northern Alberta. She served the Lord as a Sunday school teacher, Pioneer Girls, and Christian Women's Club leader. And lastly, as a devoted wife, mother, and grandma today. Mom shares her faith in her kind and quiet way. 
I am so thankful for her. The memories I have, both past and current, of her godly example can brighten the worst of days. <laughs> Even now, her life and example influence mine, and I wish I was as patient as she was. You may not have a mom like mine, where positive memories and interactions abound, or perhaps your time with your mom was cut short and you are missing your mother today. Despite where your thoughts may lead with regards to Mother's Day, we find an example to follow in those first verses in the book of Exodus. We find an example of women who fear God, do what's right, and influence life around them. Thanks, Elisa, for that. What a great, uh, good, good thoughts there, good ideas, and just good, good focus. I hope you enjoyed this uh, special treat of having a, a mom share her perspective on this text. You've got to understand, the, the book of Exodus begins on a real dark note. I mean, the people of Israel are enslaved. They're despised. The Egyptians loathe them. And yet they just continue to multiply, as Elisa mentioned even in her little talk there. And and, and, and what we find here is that, that Pharaoh is threatened by them, and so he's like, we've got we to reduce the surplus population. And so he commands that the uh, midwives would destroy those babies. And I just want to look at that text real quickly. We're just going to read through it together. Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you assist the Hebrew women in childbirth, observe at the delivery. If it is a son, kill him. But if it is a daughter, she may live. But the midwives feared God, did not do what the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For the Hebrew women are vigorous. They give birth before the midwives get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he made households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, All sons that are born you must throw into the river, but all daughters you may let live. This is the background, the backstory of the Exodus, of Moses' life, of the nation of Israel at the time. It's a horrible story. It's genocide, infanticide. They're, they're, they're destroying children with, with just a cavalier disregard for the value of human life. This is the, you know, the, the backdrop of the, of the Exodus experience. You need to understand and, and feel that. But in the midst of that, there's a couple bright lights. These midwives who fear God, they have this deep reverential respect for God, for his ways, for his views on life. And, and as, as, we, as we read through this, at the end, I'm going to just bring out three lessons. But, but you know, here, here we see just a couple of women that have, have great faith, and, and, and they take God's valuation of life above every, anyone else's. Finally, when he can't use them to accomplish his sinister plan, you know, at birth to destroy them, the babies, he, he just commands everyone, you know, if, if sons are born, throw them into the river. It's a hor horrible, horrible story. And in that, into that horrible story, horrible situation, horrible circumstance, Moses is born. Chapter 2, verse 1. A man from the household of Levi married a woman who was also a descendant of Levi. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a healthy child, she hid him for three months. But when she was no longer able to hide him, she took a papyrus basket for him, sealed it with bitumen and pitch. 
She put the child in it and set it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile. His sister stationed herself at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Now, stop for a second. We'll continue the passage in a moment. What we find here is this, this family that is blessed with a child. They have two children before. This is their third child. And it says in the Nat Bible that he's beautiful, but actually, literally, in, in the Hebrew, it is, they, they saw this, this was a, a good child. It's the same phrase that occurs in the book of Genesis when, it, when, when it's describing the creation, and it says that God saw that it was good. She saw that this son was good. It's a direct allusion to the creation story and to the fact that Moses' arrival on the scene was no accident. It, you know, it was no, you know, no horrible circumstance that, that God was in this. I believe that every child is a gift from God, precious and valued. And so did this couple. For three months, she works hard to, to keep, you know, that child that, you know, with, hidden from, from the Egyptians and, and not, not to hear him cry and, and maybe even from narcs within the, the Israelite camp itself. And, and she, finally, she can no longer keep this child quiet. And so she builds a basket. Interestingly, the word for basket is the same word used in Genesis 6 to describe the ark that Noah built. The ark, which would become a symbol of salvation from God's judgment and deliverance in its day. Here, she builds an ark for Moses. <laughs> she places him in it. Yeah, she's, she's following the, the letter of the law. She's put her child in the river, but she's not just going to throw him into the crocodiles. She's put him into this ark, and now she says, Lord, would you just look after my child? She's a woman of great faith. And there's big sister sitting on the bank watching what's going to happen. And then we find in verse 5. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself by the Nile. And while her attendants were walking alongside the, the river, and she saw the basket among the reeds, she sent one of her attendants to it. Attendants. So she sent one of her attendants, took it, opened it, saw the child, a boy, crying. And she felt compassion for him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, This is Moses' sister, Shall I go get a nursing woman for you from the Hebrews so that you may nurse, she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes, do so. So the young girl went and got the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, because I drew him from the water. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable story. This child is put in the water. We're not sure what's going to happen one of the daughters of Pharaoh just happens to show up at the river. Now, speculation is that one of the Pharaohs that this could have been the time period that was represented had 59 daughters. So this might have been one of those 59. I mean, he's got all these girls, and no doubt the, the royal palace was full of kids and grandkids. But she sees this child. She recognizes him as a Hebrew child somehow. And she has this compassion, and, and she wants to take this child into her own home. Now, if she was a loyal subject of her father, she would have, you know, okay, throw that child into the river, just like Dad said. But she, she herself values this life of this child. And in a t- twist of irony, Moses' mother, who puts her child to the mercy of God, is given her child back and paid from the Egyptian coffers to look after her own child. It's a remarkable story. As I think about the story, the lessons that Elisa brought out earlier, but I, I, just, I just think of three kind of take-home points that I want to 
just bring out from this story and from this passage, which is the backdrop and the backstory to the book of Numbers and moving through the wilderness. And, and Moses is going to become a significant person in, in, the, in the history of, of God's plan of salvation. And, and he, you know, he accomplishes a lot through Moses, but his beginnings are in this humble situation with this woman of, of desperate faith and her husband who, who just believed that God has a plan for this child and they hold out and God brings it to pass. But the first lesson as I think about this story is that you know, God values human life and children are precious to him. I mean, what we find in the scriptures is that you know, we have situations like this where, where Pharaoh has no regard for a baby and he's just killing them, slaughtering them. And later on, in, when, when Jesus is born and, and, and Herod in, in Jerusalem is threatened by this child who was born king of the Jews in Bethlehem. And so Herod goes in and destroys all the babies in, in, you know, in Bethlehem. I mean, I mean, we see these, these pictures in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We're thinking, what a horrific world in which these people lived where they just had such a disregard for babies. And they would just slaughter them and kill them and destroy them. And, and, then, I, and then I stop and I think, are we any different? In 2017, 94,000 children were aborted in Canada. You do the math, that's 257 children a day are killed. Ten every hour, every six minutes, one child is aborted in Canada. And if that's not bad enough, the worldwide statistics from the World Health Organization are, are, are that you know, 125,000 abortions a day are performed across the world. That's 5,000, over 5,000 every hour, 87 every minute. Three children are killed every two seconds in our world. Are we any better? Have we actually learned? God values human life and the life of a child. And maybe you're watching this, you're thinking, Pastor Mike, don't you know that the abortion debate is over and no one's talking about that anymore? It's, it's been settled and it's not settled. God loves kids. He loves babies. They're precious to him. In fact, even as he gives the law in the book of Leviticus, he tells them, because the people in the land in which they were going, one of the, one of the groups of people worshipped this God called Molech. And if you were a devout worshiper of Molech, what you would do is you would take one of your sons and you would pass him through the fire. Literally, sacrifice your son to appease Molech and to get his favor and to increase your fertility and all that stuff. And, and God's like, if any one of your people do that, you take him out and you stone him. Because that goes quite against the grain of God's plan and desire. God loves babies. They're precious to him. And we as a church, as the followers of Jesus Christ, need to take the valuation that God puts upon human life and put it into practice in our own lives. I mean, Jesus, the disciples are bringing children, and you know, people are bringing children to Jesus, and the disciples are like, no, Jesus doesn't have any time for kids. And Jesus is like, wait a second, stop that. Bring the children to me. Don't, don't forbid that, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, and he takes them on his lap and he blesses them. The very heart of God, a heart for children, a heart for babies, a heart for for human life. And we need to value human life in that way and, and do our part to, to help and, and to promote life. And, and I understand that, that there's a lot of women out there who, who find themselves in difficult circumstances because a man has let them down. Because some man who, who wanted one thing but not the other part that comes with it, you know, got someone pregnant and then disappears. And those men, I believe, are the lowest of the low. They are the scum of the earth. 
it is our responsibility as men to take responsibility for what we are involved in when it comes to making children. And so if you're a woman today and a mother and you're, you're alone because some man ditched you, boy, I, I, I feel sorry for you. God sees your plight. That is not the way it's supposed to be. God values human life. And he, takes, he holds us accountable for how we live our life. And we as a church, we would encourage a, a healthy sexual ethic in the sense of like be careful and, and be, be conscious of, of of your choices because there's there's consequences and if it's in a marriage context it's safe and god blesses marriages with children and so understand our the issue is not abortion and a woman's choice the issue is what valuation does god put upon that child in the womb and the scripture is really clear god's forming those children together he's knitting us together he is clearly a part of the conception and the development of a child right from its very earliest stages inside the mother's womb until it's born and then up until it's, it, it, you know, it lives its full life. God is the author of life and death. He gets to determine those things, those numbers and those days, not us. God values life, and we need to value life. One of the things we've done in our home, just to have a small part in this, is, is we've got involved with compassion and have sponsored kids. And so we've doubled our family. Uh, we have a child in Haiti, a child in Bangladesh, a child in South America and a child in Africa. And, and, and that's just a small thing. I know it's just like, it's like there's, there's millions of them out there, but we just wanted to do something in our home to help uh, a child and a family somewhere where, where, they, where they need help. And Compassion does a great job working through local churches to help children in poverty and mothers in poverty across the world. And so maybe there's something like that you can do. There, there's also, of course, pregnancy centers here in our own country and, and helping young moms and single moms and just stepping up as a church and, and being, because God values life and values children and values babies. They're precious to him. The second point that I would take is not only does God value life, but that we shouldn't underestimate the value and the significant role of, of mothers and of women. I mean, you play a critical role. And as our society kind of wants to blur the lines between male and female and between husband and wife and men and women in the home and, and just kind of make it all equalitarian, and I mean, I understand that, but the Bible presents a different picture from that, and it, and it places a high value on the role of a, of a mother in the home and, and raising her children and investing in her children. And, and what I love about this picture is that God gives Moses back to his mom, and those early formative years are... are, are are, are at, at, in the home of, of, of his birth mother and, and of a family of faith. And as he is older, we're guessing four or five, he's weaned and he's sent to the palace of Egypt. And I'm sure that was a difficult process for his mom. But God honored that. He, he allowed Moses' mom to have that opportunity. And you know, you never have your kids small again. Those years you can never get back. And you moms that have made it a choice to be at home and to invest in your kids when you're young, you've made the right choice. And I know sometimes that it's impossible to do that because of other circumstances, but if you can, uh, you will never regret it. You can never get those early years back. And moms play a significant role, and women play a significant role in, in, the, in the development of children and, 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 of, and of the discipling of the church. I was thinking about um, just um, some of the, people in history. One of them was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was one of the key influencers and, and evangelists of the, you know, in the 18th, you know, in the 1800s in, in London. And he grew up in a church home, but did not receive Christ until he was 15. And, and his mom would, would plead with him and teach him the Bible and, 
and, and, and, and he said, you know, in, in, in one of his excerpts, I just want to read it for you. Spurgeon tells us how every Sunday evening his mother would stay home with the children, read and explain the scriptures to them, and plead with them to think about the state of their souls and to seek the Lord. He remembers one time her, her praying, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. <laughs> it's old English. But basically, Lord, you know, when it comes to the judgment day, they'll know that they heard. I, I told them. And Spurgeon said, The thought of a mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. And at 15, he turns his life over to the Lord and becomes a dynamic evangelist, preacher. Sermons are, are printed off in the papers and collected in books, and, and his influence lives on to today. But behind that man is this praying mother, this Bible-teaching mother, this passionate, committed mother. And there are many stories like that of moms that put in the time and the effort and were, were spiritually sensitive and invested in their children's spiritual development. Don't underestimate the significant role of women and of mothers in discipling and raising up the next generation of, of Christian leaders and, and ministers and, and that are going to reach the, and, and world shapers. Um, I think of, of my own upbringing. I had a Sunday school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Erichuk. Mrs. Erichuk uh, taught me Sunday school every Sunday. She was not on a rotation. She was my teacher every Sunday. And what was funny about this was Mrs. Erichuk was also a teacher. So on Monday and Friday, she taught kindergarten. She taught snotty-nosed little children you know, in the local elementary school. And then on Sunday, she would show up and teach children again. She, I think she taught a little bit older class. But, I mean, I was like, did you not get enough during the week? But she used her skills and her passion for kids to help kids learn the Bible and follow Jesus Christ with their lives. Not only that, Mrs. Erichuk would every quarter have a Sunday school party. So Saturday, we'd show up at the church, go to the basement, have games, eat cake. And, and so that week, Mrs. Erichuk would teach kids, have a Saturday, teach Sunday, and then she's back teaching them again Monday. I mean, it was remarkable, but I'm here today because of women like Mrs. Erichuk in my life. If you find any successful church in the world that doesn't have a, a strong group of mothers and women involved, I, I don't think it exists. If you want to get something done, you know, there needs, there's got to be a mother in the mix somewhere. There are, you know, a woman with a passion for kids there. I mean, and here God is using these women of this story to, to, to fulfill his plan and purposes for the world and to bring salvation in ultimately through Jesus Christ. But Moses is a key part of God's plan. And, and in behind that story, the backstory is these women of faith. Don't underestimate the significant role of women Some of you are at home right now, and you're just like, wow, this is exhausting. This is, you know, difficult and challenging at times. Some, some of you with young kids are just like, man, it just seems like I do the same thing every, every day. I'm, you know, doing dishes. I'm doing diapers. I'm washing clothes. I'm cleaning this. I'm doing, and, and, but understand, you are forming young lives. You know, here at New Life, when, when we have our New Life kids, we're not doing childcare. 
we're not just doing a game and play time. And I, and, I, and I know other churches do that. That's not our, our passion. Our passion is that our kids would know the Word of God, would understand the story of salvation in the Scriptures, would have a, a good picture of, of what God is teaching throughout the whole Bible and be able to follow Jesus Christ from a, from a comprehensive, objective understanding of, of the Scriptures and God's love for them in the Scriptures. And that's a different track than a lot of churches are taking because we just love kids and we want them to experience the beauty and the wonder of God's Word. You know, as we hit the fall, our hope is that we'll have two services. We may have to because of COVID anyway. Perhaps some of you would like to step it up and not just be on an eight-week vocation, but actually say, no, actually, I'd like to be involved every week. I'm going to serve in one service. I'm going to attend another. I'm going to get to know the kids in the children's ministry. I'm going to invest my life in their lives. I'm going to be part of forming up a, a team and an army and a, and a host of servants right from new life. We're not just trying to do you know, crowd management, we are forming the future of God's kingdom here in, in the world, right here in our church, in our children's ministry. And you can be a part of that, men or women, men and women. But we need, and we have had, throughout the history of this church and of churches across our country, key moms and women involved teaching and nurturing kids from God's word. Don't underestimate the significant role of women and mothers. And of course, the final one I would say is seize the moments that God gives you. Jochebed has an opportunity to just nurture Moses in his young years. The midwives have an opportunity to, to bring life to kids that they've been commanded to destroy life. And they disobey the laws of the land in order to honor and fear the laws of God. And, you know, we are all given opportunity to bless and to care for people, to love on children. I know people in our church that have opened their home up and expanded and welcomed other children into their home, and that is an honorable, honorable thing to do. I know there are those in the churches that, that have foster children, that are helping kids that are in the social services system, and, and that's a messy, messy calling, but it's a significant one, and, and more Christians should be doing that if you can and, and have the heart for it. I mean, that, that's a wonderful ministry, and God looks upon that and says, yeah, that's great because you can impact those kids in those early years and, 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 and hopefully provide some, some positive footing for them as they move forward in, in, a, in a very difficult circumstance. I think that every Christian home should be a, a safe and, and a welcome home. And I would encourage you to make your home a safe place for neighborhood kids to make it a loving place, to make it a place of, of morality and, and ethics and a place where other parents know they can stand there. Yeah, there's not going to be garbage going on there. Kids aren't getting drunk. They're not looking at pornography there. They're, it's a safe place. And, and that, that kids will come and say, yeah, you know what? Those, those, you know, those, those aren't my parents, but I feel like they, they love me like, like they are my parents. And, and those are the kind of homes I think we need to have. We need to fill up our refrigerators and our pantries and have them available for local kids to come and, and just feed them and love on them. Seize the moments that God gives you. Of course, one of those moments is this COVID moment. You have your kids at home if you're a mom. And, and maybe some of you are homeschooling, so you've been doing this already, but those of you that aren't, I mean, this is a new opportunity for you to teach your children from God's Word, to reorient them, to invest in them, to get to know them, to make this season not a season which they will later look back and say, that was horrible, but they'll say, man, wasn't that so much fun having mom around and learning from her? My wife sits down with, with our younger two and, and reads them stories and talks about the Bible in the morning with them. 
I made my older two read through a, a college theology textbook, Intro to Theology, and we discussed it. And what, what an opportunity. It, it's a moment. It, it's a gift from God to you. Don't let it go to waste. And God will bring other opportunities into your life. Opportunity to go and volunteer at camp and to be a part of a key gospel ministry. Uh, opportunity to serve here with, with uh, day camp or other ministries we're involved in. There, there's opportunities that God brings across your path. Be aware of those moments. Seize those moments. Serve in those moments and see how God uses the, the seemingly random situation, circumstances of your life to accomplish his divine plan. And at the heart of that is this, these women of faith, these women of courage, these women of gutsy determination. And I'm so thankful for moms and, and the women of faith that have just been the, the bedrock of the church for, throughout its history. I mean, who's there at the cross when Jesus is dying? It's a, it's a group of women. Who is encountering the empty tomb on Sunday morning? It's, it's a group of women. I mean, God uses women. I mean, uh, men are crazy to think that uh, we don't need women. I mean, they are so important and valuable. And in a home, a mother's role is so significant. So I honor you mothers today. I thank you for your ministry. I encourage you to, to seize the moment that you are in right now and to really nurture your kids spiritually. Men, husbands, we need to show that honor to our, to our wives. We need to teach our children to respect their mothers and to honor her as well. Today, your mom should not be doing dishes in your home, nor making meals. Guys, we need to step it up, and kids, let's make it happen here. This is mom's day off, but it shouldn't just be on Mother's Day. That should happen on a regular basis. And that's part of a healthy home. And out of a healthy home, God raises up mighty leaders. And from mighty leaders great things accomplished in the world. My prayer is that out of New Life, and we're not a big church, but that we've got some, some just some spark plugs in, in our children that go out and make a huge kingdom impact for Jesus Christ. And each of us ordinary people can have a small part in that as we serve God together and disciple our kids together. We're going to see God do great and mighty things through our kids, just, and it starts with just the, the, the patient and loving dedication of moms in the home. So thank you, moms. We honor you today. We thank God for you. And we just pray you'll be blessed as, as we celebrate Mother's Day and as we think about Exodus and as we think about numbers. I mean, God's moving through the wilderness, but behind all that story is this group of women of faith. And so I'm going to just pray to close and pray a prayer of blessing on you moms and, and all of you women out there that are serving. There are people that are spiritual mothers. You may not be biological mothers, but you are spiritually nurturing women under, and other children underneath you, and that's just as significant, and I honor you too, and thank God for you. But today I just want to pray and a blessing on you as we close. Thank you for your ministry in the home and in our church. We couldn't do without you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray your blessing upon each and every mother watching this video. And for those spiritual mothers that nurture, that maybe don't have biological children, I thank you for them too. Lord, we take the responsibilities and the roles you've given to us and pray that you would just empower us to fulfill them to, to the praise of your glory. I pray that today these mothers would just know your love and the love of their families. I pray today, Lord, that you would strengthen them and give them wisdom for every situation that they face, especially for those moms that are home teaching their kids and 
guiding their educational process. Lord, give them a special grace, Lord. I pray for any mothers today, Lord, that are estranged from their children, that you would comfort them in their hurt and their pain. And Lord, I I just thank you for the mothers of faith, many who have gone on to be with you, that have just formed the bedrock of this church and the churches across our country. Today we honor them, just as you command us to. And Lord, continue your work here in Canada, here in Lloydminster, through the faithful service of the many women and mothers in our church. So we pray your blessing on them now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching. Have a great Mother's Day. Remember, no dishes for mom. You get in there, dads, and wash the dishes. Moms, enjoy the day. Put your feet up and have a wonderful day. God bless you. What was that? Whew. Dang.